You are listening to Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people. Hello, Koinonia Church. Uh, what a doozy of a week we have had, I tell you what. Uh, this would have been a good week to do a media fast, and so if you uh, happen to have done that and you're just becoming aware of what happened, then I just want to say good on you for uh, taking this week to take a break from the media. Uh, I, I, we're all uh, shocked, uh, startled, heartbroken uh, for what we have seen happen in our nation's capital, for the violence that happened there, for the loss of life. Uh, for the confusion and the division that continues to be apparent in our country. Uh, I think many of us are, are weeping and grieving. Uh, I know today some are celebrating because of the incoming president. Uh, some of us are mourning uh, because uh, of the outgoing president. Wherever you're at, I just want to encourage you uh, to keep your focus in the right place. Uh, number one, uh, don't give in to fatalism. Uh, there is hope uh, always because we serve uh, the God of the universe, who is the God of all hope. And we don't put our hope in a political system. We don't put our hope in a capital. We don't put our hope in a president. We put our hope uh, in the one uh, who is the savior of uh, all mankind and who has given us a way back uh, to relationship with the Father. And so just keep your hope and keep your faith. Uh, keep your trust in the one who saves and rescues. And remember that we do not trust in human systems. Uh, that we get to participate in a, in a wonderful democracy in our country, and we want to be a part of that. But let's not uh, get things out of whack. Let's remember who we are. We're the people of God. We're not the people of America as much as we are the people of the eternal creator of the universe. And it's so appropriate for us to be talking this week uh, at, in, in a series that we started last week called uh, Factory Reset. And uh, at the, here at the beginning of the year, uh, we're talking about the importance of going back uh, to our foundational principles and making sure our lives are founded and established in the right place. It's so critical for us in this moment to remember where we are rooted and what our foundation is. I want you to remember this. A reset without a change is only a repeat. Right? We don't want to just repeat 2020 over and over again. The only way that we can move forward effectively in our life is if we learn something from what we have gone through this last year, if we learn something from what we're going through right now, Otherwise, we really are just bound uh, to repeat it. So what are we learning and how are we resetting is incredibly important for us. Now, as a church, what we're doing here is we're seeking to lean into our vision and values uh, because these are our foundational stones that uh, I want to encourage you to reset back to. At Koinonia Church, this is our vision statement. We are igniting contagious faith in the one God who restores all. Uh, now, last week we talked about igniting contagious faith. Uh, if your faith has wavered in this season, uh, if we've stopped being contagious, if we're no longer on fire for the things of the Lord, then, then it's time to reset. It's time to readjust so that we can get back on track and put the Lord at the center of our lives. And for the rest of the series over the next couple of weeks, we're going to dive into, uh, one by one, each of our core values as a church uh, these church, they, uh, these values define for us what's important to us as a church family. Uh, but but remember, the church is is simply the people of God, right? It's it's you and I, and so the values of our church really should align with the values of every follower of Christ. So I'm not just saying, hey, you know, Koinonia, this only applies to you. This applies to every single follower 
of Jesus, but this is the way that we have decided to describe them if you're a part of Koinonia Church. These, these are the five values that we're going to be talking about. Uh, first, of all, first of all is Jesus is everything. People matter. Authentic community. Transformed lives. And Holy Spirit led. I could talk about each one of those right now, uh, but uh, I'm just going to talk about the first one today. These five values are critical uh, to our fellowship. Any vision statement, I just want to say, any vision statement we know is inadequate. Any list of values is going to be incomplete. So I'm not saying that as we look at this vision statement, as we look at these values, that there are not other important values, there's not other critical things that could be added. Of course there are. There are always more. But these things really form a solid core for us. They're, they're those foundational touchstones that we want to keep coming back to and that we want to reset back to at the beginning of the year so that we launch forward in the right way and have our hands open for what God is going to do in this next year. So I just want to talk to you about this idea, this value that Jesus is everything. Let me just take a moment uh, and say something about, about Jesus. Uh, Paul said this, he is to be first in everything. John, the apostle said he was there at the beginning as the word and by him, everything that has been made has been made. Colossians says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. The author of Hebrews said that Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. It was for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He is the second Adam. He is our high priest. He is our hope. He is our healing. Ephesians chapter 2 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He has brought us into fellowship with the Father. He has opened the door of heaven. He has restored us and he has redeemed us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He is with us even to the very end. My friends, Jesus is everything. If you allow me, let me just in this moment, because when I start to talk about who Jesus is and you begin to rehearse his nature and his character, I don't know what you, I cannot help but turn that into a prayer. I don't want to just talk about Jesus. I want to talk to Jesus. So if you permit me for just a moment, I want to turn this into a prayer with my eyes open. Simply say, Jesus, there is no one like you. There's no one besides you. You're the apple of our eye. You're the hope of all mankind. It's because of what you did that we can say, Abba, Father, Daddy, God, you have made us complete. With you, we need nothing else. You are our champion. You are our king. You're worthy of praise and you're worthy of our lives. Jesus, let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Listen, as the central personage of the universe, there is no way in these next few minutes I can even begin to do justice to the subject of Jesus. If you were to pick up a book about theology, 
you'll find that the section that's labeled Christology, uh, which is the study of Christ, it'll be larger than any other section in the book uh, because it's a big deal. Jesus is, in fact, everything. But if it's not larger than any other section, then I just encourage you, get a different book. <laughs> the most important question that you and I can ever answer is, who is Jesus? In the Gospel of Matthew, it's recounted that uh, one day Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say, who do people say that I am? Their answer back to him was was varied, right? Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then Jesus got very specific with his question. It's always easy to ask what someone else thinks about a subject. It's always easy to share what the opinions are that someone else holds. But Jesus asked that singular and most important question that day to his disciples. It's the question that we all have to answer. And if we don't answer it today, we will, in fact, answer it one day in the future. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? That was Peter, the loudmouth of the group, the one that I like, I think, the most. Uh, Even loudmouths sometimes they'll get it right, right? And this time he was more than right. He was spiritually perceptive. Peter said this, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. For the Jewish people, the Messiah was the one whom God was going to send into the world to right all of the wrongs and to save his people of Israel. He was the ultimate expression of Father God. And his plan uh, to bring back those people back into his, into his arms. In short, Jesus was everything. Peter that day answered the question dead on. But each of us, we too have to answer that same question. Each of us, ourselves, have to respond. It's not enough to say, you know, so-and-so thinks this and so-and-so thinks that about Jesus. It's not enough to him and haw. We have to simply answer, is he our Lord? Is he a liar or is he a lunatic? Uh, Those three responses truly are probably our main options. No one can make the claims that Jesus made to be able to forgive sin, to have come from heaven, to do exactly what the Father is doing at all times. No one can answer those. No one can say those things without being one of those three. He's either the Lord He's either a liar or he's a lunatic. We have seen people who are mentally ill claim to be able to forgive sin. We consider them to be crazy. We all know people who say beautiful things, but don't have the power to follow through on them. We call them liars, right? But, but someone who could actually do it, well, we had better sit up and take notice to someone like that. Who do you say Jesus is? And even more importantly, if you say that he is Lord, Do you live like that is true? Or is it perhaps a time for a reset? Is he your Lord? If he is, then he is Lord of everything. Let me ask you this. Are there areas of your life where he is less than Lord? I don't want to meddle. I'm not trying to mess you up, right? But when we say Jesus is everything, everything means everything. And we have a real tendency, I know you do, just like me, we have a real tendency to make Jesus Lord of some areas of our life, but to kind of keep him out of of others. Is he Lord over your mouth and over your money? 
Is he Lord over your food as well as your attitude? Is he Lord over your stuff and your fluff and your time and your wine? Or have I stepped over the line? <laughs> Maybe it's time to reset. Maybe it's time to put him back in his proper place. Listen, I'd like to submit an idea uh, to you that I think could help as you seek to put Jesus back at the center at the beginning of the year here. It's a very simple idea, but I'm, I'm hoping that you'll take it and, and that you'll come back to it over and over again in this year. And this is what I'm going to leave you with today. It, it has to do with welcoming, welcoming Jesus. And it's something that we see in Scripture about the way that Jesus operates. And here it is. Jesus stays where he is welcomed, and he leaves where he is rejected. Now, in John 4, we find the story of the woman at the well. She's a woman with a, a messy past and a messy present, frankly. And Jesus sees her, and he speaks to her. He loves her, and he calls her out of her mess. And she is so impacted and changed that she runs to tell the others in the village and urges them to come and see Jesus as well. Let me just read for you in James chapter 4, starting in verse 39. It says this, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, is what she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they, they urged him to stay. And he stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. Oh, I love that, right? They urged him to stay with them. Have you ever not wanted someone to leave your house, right, so badly that you begged them to stay a little bit longer? Uh, I think of some of my family. I wouldn't say this about all of my family, but some of my family members who I only get to see a couple of times a year at the most. Uh, when they're at my house, I start looking for ways to keep them there longer, right? Uh, can you change your ticket? Don't, don't leave so soon. Can you, can you cancel your plans? No, please, don't, don't go to the store. Just, just hang out here. We have everything that we need. Every moment with them is, is precious, right? The, just to, to have them in the house by itself is a gift. That's the Samaritans in this story, right? They, they fall in love with Jesus. They want to spend time with him. They, they don't want him to leave that means that they had to make a place for him. That means that someone had to probably open up their house uh, so that he could stay with them. Yet they had to feed Jesus and probably all of his disciples as well at their table. They had to care for his needs. So, so they adjusted their lives in order to make room for him. They adjusted their schedules. They changed their routines. They, they, they paid attention to him. They gave themselves and their resources to him. And because of that, he stayed with them. Can you imagine what that had to be like, right? How, how as you're sitting there, the wisdom had to pour from his lips uh, as you sat at his feet. How, how your heart, if you were there, must have burned within you uh, as he began to answer the deepest questions and embrace each one of those who are in the room with affection. <laughs> Jesus, he stays where he is welcome. He loves to hang out with people who love him. He's waiting for the invitation to come and to dwell with us. Each, each of us that, that loves Jesus should regularly and constantly ask ourselves, 
Am I urging Jesus to stay with me? In, in other words, am I making room for him intentionally? Am I giving him my time and my attention? Am I setting a place for him at the table? I love that Jewish tradition where they will actually set a place for Elijah, for the prophet, right? And they leave that seat empty because they're reminding themselves that they're expecting someone to come. They want him to be there with them. There's something that we have to do with our lives that creates a space and reminds us continually that we want Jesus to stay with us. Have we done that or have we tended to go about our own business and let our priorities kind of drift so that we put other things before him? To say that Jesus is, is Lord doesn't really mean much if it isn't demonstrated in the rest of our lives. So where do you need to reset? Now, I said as a moment ago that Jesus stays where he is welcomed, but I also said that he leaves when he is rejected. I want to look at one more passage of scripture with you. And I, I love this passage because it is one of those that, that messes with our desire to have a nice and tidy, in-the-box kind of faith. It just blows that all, <laughs> that all up. We're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 28. When he arrived at the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. They came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Uh, a whole bunch of things we could say <laughs> about this section of Scripture. Talk about uh, a messy moment. Talk about something that's a surprise. Talk about... Uh, messing with uh, our live livelihood, messing with our situation. Jesus walked in in this moment and he turned things upside down. If, you're, if your understanding of Jesus is a nice guy with long hair and a really cool pair of Birkenstocks who walked around and blessed people and said wise words but not much else, then, then really this, this should mess you up just a little bit. Because the truth is, is that Jesus will mess you up. Jesus stepped onto the scene that day, and he encountered a situation where an agreement had been made with the evil one. That's really what we're looking at here. Some kind of, of twisted arrangement had been made with the work of Satan. These two men had been left to carry their literal demons alone. And this townspeople had, had sort of figured out that they could do their thing as long as they stayed in the graveyard, as long as they didn't mess with anything else. The community had become comfortable with their presence and had probably given up on any prospect of rescuing them. Does this remind you of any people in your family or in our community that we have written off because they've fallen too far? We've tried to, maybe we've tried to help them plenty of times. 
We've tried to fix the broken situations over and over again. And we're sort of at the point that we're just resigned. It's just going to be the way that it is. And instead of continuing to push against the work of the evil one, we've simply learned to live with him. Or if I can draw the analogy, maybe just even a little bit closer to home, these two demon-possessed men, they, they represent those areas of our lives that are still untouched and unchanged. Uh, these are the areas that are resistant to obedience, where we've made a compromise with the evil one. We have found a kind of a balance, right? And we're, we're trying to hold it all together. And as long as things don't get messed with, we can keep a little sin, a little disobedience, a little wickedness, as, as long as it stays kind of out there by the graveyards and doesn't get into the rest of my life. But that day, Jesus walked in, and he has a way of not living by our rules. He's, he's not content to leave things the way they are. He laughs at the status quo and the false agreements that we have made with the evil one. I've heard this said, you may have heard it as well, Jesus is a gentleman. I'm not sure that's true if your idea of a gentleman involves someone who is always living by the rules of behavior that work for you. In church, Jesus isn't a gentleman in that sense. He's the Lord and the King of all. And he will turn things upside down and he will mess you up break all the rules that you have set up to make your life work. Truth is, is that day Jesus messed with the Gadarenes and their status quo. He messed with their money. He messed with their false sense of peace. And he scared them. And they asked him to leave. And the saddest part of the story is that he did. If you're going to ask Jesus to stay in your life, then I just want to say, get ready because he's not going to be content with staying in just one room of your house. He wants the whole place. He's not content with just 10% of your money and you pay him off. He wants control of all of it. He won't be satisfied with you giving him one day a week or one hour a day. He wants to mess you up in the best way possible. Can I ask you this question? When was the last time Jesus messed you up? If it has been a, a little while, it could be that the last time you asked him to leave when he tried to mess you up. The good news is that you can reset. Jesus doesn't leave for good. I, he just steps back and he waits for us to readjust and to re-invite him back in. I have found this, every time that I have allowed Jesus to mess up my life, it has always resulted in something better. I thought my life was good the way it was. Uh, you know, and I was concerned that the pain, I was afraid of the pain that he was going to ask me to walk through in order to do that thing that he was asking me to do. And, and I found that every single time I have said yes to him in spite of my fear, his work has been beautiful. Whatever pain I have experienced, it has been worth a hundred times that. Church family, Jesus is everything. He's worth everything. He deserves everything. But are we living like it? So here's the question. Where do you need to reset your life, your schedule, 
your money, your relationships, everything to make it so. I want to pray for you in just a moment, but first of all, I just want to ask you if you're listening today and we're talking about Jesus and walking with him and saying that Jesus is everything, but he's not Lord of your life. When it comes to that question, who do men say that I am? You have not answered that question in the way that says, you know what, Jesus, you're the Lord, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're God of everything and you're God of me. And I just want to give you that invitation right now in this moment just to simply say to him, you know what, Jesus, I'm not going to resist any longer. I'm not going to avoid any longer, but I'm inviting you in to stay with me. And Jesus said, if you come and you ask me, I will come in and I will dine with you. And what's more, he will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. And that simply begins with you giving him an invitation and handing over your life to him. And when he does that, he comes in with his incredible bear hug. He comes in with his love and he changes you from the inside out. And it will in fact change change everything but it simply begins with that with that invitation where are you at at the beginning of this year are you ready for a reset perhaps you're realizing that maybe Jesus is not quite everything that you have allowed some other things to get in the way this is a moment this is an appropriate time for you simply to say Lord would you forgive me I want to once again put you in first place I want to once again say, you are, before everything else, my King, my Lord, and my God. Where do you need to readjust your schedule, your time, your relationships, your money, all those things that you have in your life? Where do you need to stop some things and where do you need to start some things? Right now is the perfect time to do that. It's time for a reset. Let me pray with you. Jesus, I thank you that you truly have made a way for us. And we say to you, Lord, you are everything. We want to live our lives like that. I pray, Lord, for each one that's hearing me today that is sensing your Holy Spirit speaking to them, saying, you need to make some adjustments. You need to rearrange some things. You need to cut some things off. You need to start some new things. And Lord, I just pray that we would be responsive to you. Forgive us for putting you in second place or in third place. Forgive us for putting anything before you. Lord, I just pray that you would give us the courage to continue to say yes to you, to invite you in, to make a place for you always in our lives. We invite you right now. We invite you right now to come in and to live with us, to walk with us. Lord, help us to hear your voice. Help us to walk with you at all times, to make room for you and to say yes to you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the message, and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Visit us online at casinghamford.com, and if you want to support our ministry, click Give. Cornelia Church, passion for God, compassion for people.